Welcome to Hallel Fellowship, found on the internet at hallel.info. That's H-A-L-L-E-L dot I-N-F-O. We hope you are encouraged by the following recorded Bible study to look deeper into every word that proceeds from the mouth of God and how they were lived out in the life of Yeshua HaMashiach, often called Jesus the Christ. Yom Teruah, called the Day of Blasting, and in context about blasting trumpets. And we have various studies and that we've done on all kinds of topics related to this, collected together at halal.info slash trumpets. But one of the, the key questions we start out is, well, what is Yom Teruah? For those who might be new to this particular celebration, uh, it's recorded first there in Leviticus 23, verses 23 through 25, and then also in a parallel passage, it's picked up in Numbers chapter 29. And there we get the instructions that of why we're celebrating here today, on this particular um, Monday on the, the Western calendar here. It's because it's the first day of the 7th, month of Israel's calendar, and uh, we have that particular instruction here in Leviticus 23, verses 23 through 25, which um, you might know is the Leviticus 23 is a collection of the appointed times of the Lord. So if you want to get a good overview of all the appointed times in one place, Leviticus 23 is a great place to start. There is some parallel passages to the ones that are mentioned in this chapter, but this is a great place to start. And in verses 23 through 25 of Leviticus 23, again, the Lord spoke to Moshe saying, speak to the sons of Israel saying in the seventh month on the first of the month, you shall have a rest, a reminder by blowing of trumpets, a holy convocation. You shall not do any laborious work, but you shall present an offering by fire to the Lord. Well, if that's where it stopped, you'd uh, okay. <laughs> uh, that's interesting, but what then else do you do with it? Well, in, in Numbers chapter 29, first six verses give some more details on what is involved with this day and where we actually get the title of it called uh, Yom Turah, because you get a little hint of it in the Leviticus passage, but here you get it's uh, referred to then as Yom Teruah. Now in the seventh month, on the first day of the month, you shall have a holy convocation. You shall do no laborious work. It will be for you a day of blowing trumpets. You shall offer burnt offering as a soothing aroma to the Lord. One bull, one ram, seven male lambs, one year old without defect, and also their grain offering. Fine flour mixed with oil, three-tenths of an ephah for the bull, two-tenths for the ram, one-tenth of e- for each of the seven lambs. One Offer one male goat for a sin offering to make atonement for you, besides the burnt offering of the new moon and its grain offering, and the continual burnt offering and its grain offering, and their drink offerings according to their ordinance for a soothing aroma, an offering by fire to the Lord." So thus, this is where we get the various instructions we have for Yom Teruah about when it is that we gather and you get some of the original prescriptions for what it is that happens on this particular day. That's the first day of the seventh month, this memorial for blowing, as it's called, or a Zikaron Teruah, and that is mentioned as a Shabbaton. Now, that's different from what the weekly Shabbat or Yom Kippur, which is just coming up here in 10 days, here on the, the 10th day of the seventh month. And both of those are described as a Shabbat Shabbaton. Uh, just as a little brief look under the hood of Hebrew, um, Hebrew tends to have a way of bold-facing or emphasizing things by repeating the same words with uh, slightly different grammatical markers. And so Shabbat Shabbaton is one example of that, where thus you will 
see it translated very various ways. Often it's translated as complete rest because Shabbat, Shabbaton, rest, rest. You put those together and it's like, okay, stop. And thus you get the idea that Shabbat and the weekly Shabbat and Yom Kippur are days where you are to stop. The other ones are stop days, but not complete stop days. So a bit of a uh, note there. And also this memorial for blowing is called a Mikra Kodesh, or it's translated as a holy convocation. Now Mikra, so Kara is the, is the word for call out. Mikra is the place where you call out or a meeting place, a place where you get together. Thus with the big 50 cent word of the day, convocation, which just means you are coming together to acknowledge something very significant, where we get the big word convocation. You might um, in olden times, <laughs> back in the in the days where uh, some events like school graduations had some significance, they would have a convocation before your graduation. And uh, if you, I, even I went to I graduated from a public high school, and even they had a convocation at a local church before the graduation ceremony itself, which was just to emphasize, hey, you are now moving on into a new stage of life. Kind of maybe shades of what you see happen often in um, Jewish culture where you have the bar mitzvah or the son of the covenant where you are emphasizing to someone who's coming of age, hey, okay, now you are entering a phase. You're about ready to launch out on your own this is what it means to launch out on your own. So this idea of a mikra kodesh or a, a calling out, a meeting that is set apart for something should give you a hint. Okay, this is something significant. That why would you be wanting to come together at something that's set apart from the rest of society, the rest of the goings-on of the world? So... What, uh, just this is a brief recap of what we just read there in Numbers 29 of the various offerings that are there. But one of the interesting things that is involved with this too is that this is also a tamid, a tamid or the continual offering as it's often translated. That happens every single day in the morning and in the afternoon. It was in the tabernacle and the temple. Those are the things that happened every day. And then you also, this is a Rosh Chodesh, or a beginning of the moon. So there are burnt offerings, and the Chatat, or the sin offerings, and the Mincha, or the grain offerings that go along with those too. Okay, so those, you're, you're emphasizing, okay, this is a calling out. This is something special. This is, you're calling out for a particular purpose, and it's, there are these offerings and gifts that are all wrapped up together with this, saying, hey, this is something special. So thus, what you're seeing is, hey, this is a beginning of something significant that's coming along. So thus, when you see what is this seventh month starting, it is starting or beginning an encapsulation of the seventh month, which has some very significant hallmarks in it. It's got the grouping of memorials in it. Today's the Yom Teruah, the Feast of Trumpets, coming up on the 10th day of this particular month, Day of Atonement, Yom Kippur, also Yom HaKippurim, or the Day of Coverings. Then you've got on the 15th day, which stretches through the 21st day, the Feast of Tabernacles, Feast of Booths, Feast of Sukkot. So, this is a package coming together, just like what you see in the first month, the first month through the third month of the year. You've got Pesach, Passover. You've got the first fruits, which kicks off the seven weeks leading up to Shavuot. So all those together are a package. First month kicks off things. Seventh month kicks off things. And in a sense, 
brings them in for a landing, which is where you get the sense that comes through in some of the uh, traditions that this is a time of judgment, which it says, okay, you're bringing things in for a landing. You have a calling out with trumpets. You have a day of atonement. Then you have a Sukkot, a time of a calling in of the nations. It looks like things are reaching a pinnacle. Just, you know, when you are reading a book or going through any particular account, there is what you are calling like the crescendo part of the story, where you can see that everything is reaching a, a big, a, um, reaching a climax, reaching a pinnacle point. This is where things are going to get resolved. And then what usually follows that? They call it the epilogue or what comes later after that. What happens after you reach this big resolution period of it? And that is exactly what we see in the story of God is that things that are related to the seventh month are reaching a big climax, reaching a big conclusion period. So thus you get this picture, hey, this is a time of judgment, so, thus you can see that some uh, in the typical synagogue prayers, they come in a package of like three basic categories of them. They're the ones related to the kingship of the Lord, that the Lord is king. And then they also relate to the wonders of the Lord, that the, that the Lord is supreme, that the Lord is beyond what we are in our experience and then what we experienced here earlier today with all the shofar blowing the blowing of shofars you know traditionally it's up to a hundred blasts that are spread across the service so all of this blasting is to be a reminder of something and part of that calling back also to the realm of uh the expressing the kingship of God is at Sinai. And at Sinai, some of the lessons that we get with the shofar are lessons related to, hey, wake up, pay attention. Also, that remember that with the shofar was the voice of God heard there at Sinai. The voice of God heard at Sinai. And then also you see that throughout Scripture, the voices of the prophets, voices of the apostles, are called voices, and voices being in the sense of a sound. Because one of the, the, the funny things that you see expressed back at Sinai is that you'll see it translated that they heard the sounds. Well, and in a sense, it's kind of funny because it literally says that they saw the sounds, which to our Western ears, we would say, what, what, how can you see a sound? You know, um, somebody wrote a song a while back talking about, you know, that uh, the number nine and smelling the number nine and also... Yes, what does the number nine smell like? Uh, it was a funny thing, but in a sense, that is a part of the quandary, is that you see a sound. Well, what did you see? Well, what did you hear? It, yes, Rose. Yeah. So on uh, Facebook, there was a, a film going around of the sound of a trumpet in the sky, and it was a big round circle of clouds, and you could hear you could hear the trumpets blowing in those clouds. Now, I don't know if somebody made that up or you know they they said it was a phenomenon. Yeah, and uh, it's electromagnetic phenomenon. Yeah, related to um, amazing. Yeah, it's a very similar thing that happens around earthquakes and movements that of extremely low frequencies uh when it's one of the the weird things about um wave 
mechanics, you might say, is that they can amplify across each other into creating certain sounds, canceling out sounds, amplifying other sounds. So that's what you see in a correspondence with that because a similar phenomenon happens around the times of earthquakes and some areas where there's like faults like up here in the geysers they measure similar things that's where they've been trying to develop a early warning system for earthquakes based on just that on low very very low frequencies usually you can't even hear it of but sometimes dogs and cats can hear it. And then sometimes it gets to be into the audible range where you can actually hear it. So that's a sense. So in, 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 a, in a bit, that's like a, um, a light and heavy argument um, from, from Hebrews that uh, talks about you know, how much more. So if... Just the movement of the ground can make such an incredible sound. Well, how much more will the movement, the actions of the creator of the ground, of the mountains and everything else, how much more will there be a sound, a impact upon the earth from that? So thus, a deafening sound. And that's exactly what you see described at Sinai. Yes, uh, Anne. I was thinking of the sound barrier, you know, when the planes hit the sound barrier. <laughs> yes. There's, there's a boom, but you, yes. could, you could see the wave or, you know, the wave of the sound comes at you. So, yep. So, so a, a sound can be sight. It can be something you can see as well. Yes. Yeah, the, the <laughs> very interesting description of the uh, sonic boom. Um when when they do very slow motion uh, videos of uh, explosions, you can actually see it come in right out from the time of the explosion, the the sound wave. So, wow! It and it is something that can literally knock you right off your feet in the process. All right, some of the other great lessons that we have here um, when we talk about the voice of God heard at Sinai is also the voice of God heard on the day of the Lord. And there's the passage we just read about the great trumpet in Matthew 24, that this great trumpet will be heard there on the day of the Lord. And also the Apostle Paul talks about at the time of the last trumpet, or the last, uh, the last trump as it is described there in the King James Version. And also the trumpet of God described in 1 Thessalonians 4. And thus you get this picture that with this trumpet of God, what comes with that? Resurrection comes with that. The presence of God comes and brings in resurrection. And then in Revelation chapters 8 through 11, you've got the descriptions of the seven trumpets and then being connected to the seven plagues that are also connected to the days of the Lord. And also where you get this idea where it comes down also with the, the other name for this day, Yom Teruah, as Rosh Hashanah, or the head of the year or new year, is this bringing in the new kings of Israel, as it talks about being inaugurated around the seventh month. And also in the seventh month, what else is declared to be kicking off? The Jubilee, the Obel, those are also kicked off. So thus, you see, yes, there is a head of the year that happens in the first month with uh, leading up to Pesach. And then there's also a head of the year related to kings, the Obel, the Shemitah, in the seventh month which is kind of also interesting because it is what are the Yobel and the Shemitah all about? Freedom, proclaiming freedom from debts, freedom from slavery. So it is a new beginning if you're in that situation, right? If you had a big debt and someone relieved it from you, that's a huge weight off of you. You see the 
Yeshua told the parables related to that about what would you feel like? Who loves more? The one who's forgiven little or forgiven much? The one who's forgiven much. The huge weight comes off of you. And, you, and if you've ever been involved with a huge debt that's hanging up over your head, and when that gets removed from over your head, what does that feel like? Whew! Ooh, indeed, you get this huge weight that's off of you. So thus, you know, how much more then when you're talking about a huge weight that's upon our heads related to the kingdom of heaven? And when the kingdom of heaven arrives, is there an out of sorts place that we have with the kingdom of heaven? Just like what you see with the parables that Yeshua t- told about people when they settled their debts and when the guy that got called in and he's like, okay, dude, settle your debts now. And so what did he do? He went in and started wheeling dealing to close out his debts to make sure that those things were gone. Because what? His debt was being called in. Kind of like if you have a balloon mortgage and that gets called in, what happens? You got to figure out something fast because that debt is being called in and it's either you either deal with it, get rid of it, or you're going to have to pay up big time. So thus, in, in those small senses, we can see hints of what is related to judgment basically a time where you face up we, we we have various colloquial terms for it face the music you reach a time where you have to make a decision which way are you going to go and thus you can see that in a sense that's where we get the picture of judgment and thus when you look at revelation and you look at the, the various prophets when they talk about this time when the kingdom of heaven comes in with power, there is judgment involved. And you see small senses of that, and whether you're talking about Romans chapter 7, where each individual person looks at themselves, compares themselves to the instructions that God has given. And at that point, you really have to make a decision. Uh, who cares? That's one way you could go. Or, oh no. So, which is the, which is the approach that we take when we uh, see the instructions from heaven? Who cares? Or, who can save me from this body of death? <laughs> it's bad. That's right. Better to fall upon the rock than have the rock fall upon you. So it's a very interesting picture because uh, that's something that we see pictured. And the Apostle Paul talks about that. And we mentioned that as we were going through the Torah portions that talk about water coming from the rock. And then Paul riffs on that in 1 Corinthians chapter 10, where he talks about this rock that followed them, the rock being Mashiach. In that picture that the rock of Israel is what? One that you could depend on. Something that would not fall down, would not go away. But very interestingly, also the picture comes of that rock that provided what you needed when you needed it. When you're thirsty, what did it provide? water but more than just water it provided what you really needed not just to get you through the next day but to get you through your whole life and then get you through eternal life the the realm of where god lives to transform you so that you become different not just someone who's scraping along, just trying to look for what will get them to the next moment, but someone who's looking beyond 
just the next moment, to the things that truly are eternal. So thus we can see some of the other lessons that come from this particular uh, celebration, Yom Teruah, is also related to the restoration of the house of God, the restoration of the temple for all peoples. And that temple, the dwelling place of God, is not just a building, because we see that even described with when David was talking about the commissioning of it, and Shlomo was actually dedicating it after it was built. This wasn't just going to be a building, fancy building, throw lots of money at it, make it nicer and nicer and nicer, spiff it up. No, this would be important because of who was in the building, whose presence was there. That's what made it significant. Not just the building, but what and who was in the building. So when we see some of these, uh, just we'll look at a couple of these lessons here in passing. The lesson of waking up. Well, if you're to blow a horn or something in a room, that's going to do what? Wake you up. It's loud. That's it. Its job is to be loud. Its job is to go from a noise that was quieter to a noise that's very, very loud. That is the role of it, is to pierce through, to cry out, to get your attention. So thus, with this role of the, of the trumpet in Israel to have a call to action, as you go through and you see the instructions for the silver trumpets, in Numbers chapter 10, we read that just in passing here with the Rosh Chodesh service earlier, but these roles for the trumpets were to get the leader's attention, to get the people's attention, to get them moving to do something, to get them actually in motion. So that's with this attention that's being called here at the beginning of the seventh month, what is coming in the seventh month? Atonement and dwelling, you could say, Sukkot, which is what? Dwellings, dwelling place of God among mankind. So to wake you up to these are the things that are coming. The atonement. And you can see that with atonement, what is that? We'll be celebrating that in just 10 days from now. The covering as it talks about in Leviticus 16. The coverings, that's why we often call it Yom HaKippurim, as it's described in Leviticus 16. It is three coverings. The coverings of sins, the coverings of transgressions, the coverings of iniquities. And those are the escalating levels of your move away from God. The sins being... Oh, as is described, you missed the mark. You meant to hit the target, but you missed for whatever reason. Transgressions, yeah, okay. It's a little bit more willful. You dragged away and enticed, as you could see the Apostle Paul describes that. Iniquity, that is, you could say, equivalent to rebellion. Or we might say, Treason, if you were to say you are servants of a particular nation and you commit iniquity, you are committing treason against it because the rules of whatever kingdom, nation you're in are this and you're doing something else that are a part of some other kingdom, some other nation. So that is treason. That's a huge betrayal. Huge betrayal. So it's why we actually, in our particular country, that's one of the few things that's in our constitution that is what? Yes, it's a capital crime. Because that is like, okay, you're, compl- you're working completely against what this nation is for. 
So that's when you see in Israel, how much more are the stakes even higher when you have the kingdom of heaven and earth is looking to do a great work here on earth to reconcile all the nations in, to bring all the nations in and restore the nations, restore the kingdom of God to all the nations. Well, then, how much more then is to have a treason, a betrayal, be something that tears down all of that? You know, you think of some great high-stakes events in world history. You think of more recent history. You think of, like, D-Day in World War II. The stakes were extremely high because that was going to be something that would and could break the back of a tyrannical regime that had devastated an entire continent. Well, imagine the stakes involved if someone in, in the landing operation just decided to blab off the whole plan of it to actually show everybody, uh, the defenders, what was coming, when it was coming, you know, what the plans, the backup plans, all that stuff were, to work against that. The stakes of freeing the continent of Europe were so high and then something to betray that. That is huge because it's not just one little operation. Think of all the people who are being oppressed on the continent of Europe, in Scandinavia, in, in Africa, in the Middle East, by that regime. All of that was at stake for that. Now, how much more then is the creator of heaven and earth working through Avraham and his descendants to build this kingdom, this beachhead, so to speak, the D-Day invasion of the kingdom of the adversary set up here on earth. How much more is at stake with that? But even that, with that betrayal that has happened throughout the history of the people of God, you see it expressed in leading up to the exiles, plural, the abominations of desolations that have happened to the dwelling place of God, the temple, the tabernacle, over time. Even with all that, mercy, favor, a calling back, a calling to return, comfort, comfort my people. Now, when you say the amazing love and forgiveness and long-suffering, that even when the stakes are so high for this mission that heaven has with fixing the mess of this planet, and even with that, say, mercy, call back, bring back, put back on track, that which was started. And so we see that um, picture there with Yom Kippur, the covering over of sins, transgressions, the iniquities, the outright betrayals of the people of God against the kingdom of heaven and earth. Then when you move on, and the other thing that's coming up is Sukkot, where the house of God, the dwelling place of God with mankind that that would be something to be established on the earth and made great. Not just a building, rebuild the building. No. As we've talked about with the temple, it has always been a temple of people. We've talked at length when we went through Leviticus and Numbers about what was involved with building the tabernacle, then in numbers about who was caring for the various parts of the tabernacle. This is all about the people involved. The people. We talked about with the rebellion of Korah, where it's like even though they were entrusted with an extremely important part of the dwelling place of God, that wasn't good enough. 
That wasn't good enough. They wanted more. And not seeing that all of us have a role within the kingdom of God, no matter if you're the proverbial janitor or the proverbial head cheese. Think that you have such a great position. All of us have one head, one leader among us. The one leader of the whole congregation. We all are ministers of that. Whether you're called to be a prophet, whether you're called to be a shaliach, an apostle, a teacher, no matter what you're called to do, all of us are operating under the same leader. You know, so we get the similar conversation that uh, it's Kepha had with Yeshua there after the resurrection. He's like, "Well, what about what about Yochanan? What about him?" And what was Yeshua's response? Well, if he's going to stay alive until the time of the end, what's that to you? You've got your role. Walk in it. Feed the sheep. Keep, keep the sheep safe. Guard the flock. That's your role. Just move along in it. Whatever your role is, just move along in it whether the time be short or the time be long. Just move along in it. So we all get excited about the new shiny thing. But the new shiny thing suddenly becomes the old shiny thing after a time. Then the broken shiny thing and then the broken dusty thing or the broken scratched up thing, the broken old thing, and then finally the trashed old piece of junk. After a while. So, when we're working within the dwelling place of God, as, as the Apostle Kepha puts it, as living stones within the temple, this is not some sort of just physical building. You just slap some spackle on it, cover up the, the degrading parts that are happening in it. No, this is, you're talking about a dwelling place of God made up of people on the planet. The physical representations, like we we have with the blowing the shofar, points to the deeper, the real things, like at Sinai. Because we all like to have an experience. Because, I mean, you can read about it. You can watch it on TV. You can read about it in a book. You can see pictures of something. But when you see it in front of you, I, that just cements it into your head. You know, we, we just took a trip recently, and you, you look at a beautiful fjord, and you just, wow, and you take a picture of it, and it looks nice, but it's not the wow experience that you had when you're actually there. When the people of God are at the mountain and they're hearing and experiencing the thunder and the lightning and the sound that's going out. This is not just something that your fathers, your grandfathers, your great-grandfathers talked about, these, the power of God. This is your experience right there in front of you. Okay, well, what is that experience? Is it just a light show? It's like going to a very loud concert, and you go to it, and then you go away and forget about it? Or was it what you encountered when you were there? And the people of God at the mountain, spiritual ancestors that we have, encountered what? The presentation of the testimony of God, who God actually is. Who is the one that bested the superpower of Mitzrayim, the superpower of Egypt? Bested all of the gods of Egypt. 
bested the gods of Canaan there in the sea, saying that the Baals are nothing. They have no power whatsoever. The Baals have to wheel and deal to deal with the sea monster. The creator of heaven and earth just blows open the sea. No negotiations, no pitched battles, nothing. That is who the people of God encountered. So with the sounds of the shofars, it is a bit of a memory jog. Taking us back to the mountain, even if we just read about it, we read about it every year, read about it several times a year, about the experience at Sinai, with the trumpets and such like that. The sound of the trumpets is a memory jog to get us thinking, well, this is a piercing sound. How much more then is the one who can shake all the earth? How much more is that? And that is what you see in the letter to the Hebrews is a lot of what the Torah is. It is, and as it says in the Torah itself, the pattern shown to Moshe on the mountain, build it like this. Because it is a pattern of the how much more. It is a pattern of the things that are hugely important. And as we see here with the other celebration that we have coming up here in the seventh month of Shemini Yetzirah, this things that reach their fullness of seven and then flow over the edge, flow over in eight. The number eight signifying abundance and stuff reaching its fullness and going over. So the presence of God and that flowing over into eternity where the dwelling place of the eternal creator of heaven and earth is with mankind. And the things that have been plaguing this planet for thousands of years, those are vanquished. Death is vanquished. Disease is vanquished. Brought down, destroyed. The grave, destroyed. Those that want to oppress and to kill, to lie, to cheat, to steal, all of that destroyed. Because that's a part of a different kingdom. And that kingdom is being overthrown. That kingdom is being overthrown. So as we kind of look forward into this, um, Time of the great trumpet we saw talked about there in Matthew 24. The sun and the moon being darkened, the stars falling. And these are all quotations from a lot of different prophets from Isaiah chapter 13 and 24 and Ezekiel 32 and Joel chapter 2 and chapter 3 and Amos chapter 5 and chapter 8 and Zephaniah 1. There's a whole lot under the hood of what the Mashiach is talking about here, what the prophets talked a lot about on the coming of the great day of the Lord, that the Son of Man would come in the clouds, which is referencing there in Daniel 7.13, which is hugely significant, because you see in a lot of the intertestamental writings that they keyed heavily in on Daniel 7.13 as being a picture of what this mysterious Mashiach character would actually be like, who the Mashiach would actually be like. Uh, yes, uh, Larry, do you have a comment or a question? I've been running into lately, and I was, uh, Matthew 24 is so important to us now, and we have to watch that carefully because so many of our brothers and sisters are thinking they're going to get out of all that stuff. And yet he said after the tribulation is when he's going to come and gather his people to him. And it's going to be a, a hard thing if they think that they're going to get, they should have been taken away before that, and they're not being taken away. They have a really hard time with that. Yeah, and especially... It's really, really important. Yeah, and especially when the lesson that comes through with that teaching is that who is indeed left behind? 
the ones that God has forsaken. So if things happen as they are revealed to happen with the day of the Lord, and you've been taught that if you are still around for it, you are forsaken of God. You're, you're wondering, well, wait a minute. I trusted in the Mashiach. And I'm left behind? Romans, as we know, like Peter said to Romans, that, that Paul is hard to understand. <laughs> yes. that that, they can be twisted to sound like it's going to happen before or during the tribulation. And yet, you've got to read him, you've got to read Paul, after reading what the Messiah said. And it, if you think that it's differentiating, figure out why you think it's differ, different. Because it can't be. Otherwise, he wouldn't be the apostle that he's supposed to be. Yes. So we have to look at that. We can say, oh, well, it doesn't say when. He didn't say when. He just said it was going to happen. Yeah. And we who are locked alive will be brought up into the air. And then they'll come back with them. He didn't say when. He just said that was going to happen. And yeah. the Messiah said it's going to happen after the tribulation. Yes. The, the Shaliach, the, the sent ones, the ambassadors, um, don't uh, fix the, yeah, they don't fix the messages of their boss. Yeah, they don't, otherwise they're not really an ambassador. They're just their own little uh, wheelers and dealers on their own. Because then their statements are their own statements. They're not representing somebody else. So thus, Paul, as a faithful witness, will be speaking the words that come from the Mashiach. Just as the Mashiach said, hey, the words I heard from the Father, that's what I'm passing on to you. So that's the true and faithful witness. So the true and faithful witness of the Mashiach would be speaking the words of the Mashiach. So thus, the words of Paul need to be filtered through the words of the Mashiach. And all that have been put forward before the words of God, as the Mashiach quoted very specifically to the adversary. And, you know, man doesn't live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds out of the mouth of God. That is the starting point. That's how all of the words of the Mashiach are to be understood. All the words of the prophets are to be understood. All the words of the apostles of the Mashiach are to be understood. All filtering through that. Um, yes, Ben and I, sorry, your hand up there earlier. Uh, it was just a, a thought, you know, over the years I've, I've heard people talk about um, that, you know, two will be working, mm, and yes. then, you know, one will be taken away, and then um, there was another part in Scripture that talks about, um, I think it's called... Uh, is it the the feast where the birds of the air will be gathered together? You know, for the for the great feast where all the birds will be yes, feasting. Yes, talked talked about in Matthew twenty four and also in Revelation. Yeah, and I just and also in Ezekiel too. I mean, wondering is that it seems like more of judgment than it does seem like people are going to be escaping. I mean. Uh, you know, that there will be a, that's maybe talking about more of judgment about, you know, all the, all the wicked, you know, that where they're grinding. I mean, I'm, I'm wondering about that, you know, so. Well, one of the things, especially when you, when you see in that context of the birds of the air, um, we were just actually looking at that in, um, in Ezekiel 38, 39, also talks on that particular issue and also into revelation and in that presentation that the birds of the air being gathered together is because of a force that was drawn to attack the dwelling place of god thinking aha we got them we got them they are they are um it's very interesting it talks about that um, riffing on the similar thing from Zechariah 2, where it describes in the Messianic era, Yerushalayim will be like villages without walls. Well, what is a village without walls? 
peaceful. It does not worry about anything. It feels safe and protected. So thus, what has Yerushalayim always been? A city with walls that got bigger and bigger and bigger and bigger over the various hundreds of years and different attacks upon it. The walls got bigger. The fortifications got more complex over time. But to reach the time of the Messianic era where there would be no need for walls anymore. And you think of just a small little hint of that in the modern era, modern-day Israel, where you have the development of the Iron Dome and its um, descendants have come about, where before that time, you know, you would either get no warning or very short warning, and these things would be coming down upon you, and you could get destroyed out in the street in a bus, and on and on it goes. Then you have the development of this system that is basically swatting away these rockets as they come in. Now, that's just a tiny, tiny little small crude idea of this picture of living in a city without walls because, you know, your arrows, your rockets, your, your mortars, your artillery shells are swatted away. So thus, you don't need to have the walls because you can live in safety. Well, then how much more in a time where you have the reign of the Mashiach brings all of these great powers and their destruction wielding mechanisms bring them all to destroyed. Then you can live in safety. But this time as it's talked about, you see a picture of it in Revelation where you see the city come down and then you have the nations rise up to attack the city. And you see pictures of that in uh, Zechariah leading up to like Zechariah 14. And then you see pictures of that in the latter chapters of Ezekiel as well, where you see that the nations will look at the situation and go, now's the time to attack. Well, what do they end up doing? They go up against a far superior force called the creator of heaven and earth. And against the creator of heaven and earth, even the mighty superpowers, you might say the United States has been one like that, even its might comes to nothing. Comes to nothing. And we see small hints of that. What happens when a far superior or a blessed force goes up against another force, it becomes a situation like what's described there with the birds of the air having a large um, selection of meals, so to, to put it just slightly kindly. That's what happens. But it's very interesting that you, you bring that out because that is where you see the sequence of events, both it talked about in Ezekiel and in Revelation, is they think they've got the advantage. They think they've got the superior numbers, the superior um, firepower, so to speak, to go up against the people of God, to go up against the dwelling place of God. But what do they find out in the end? No weapon is formed against you shall prosper. So no matter what kind of weapon you bring against it, the one who can bring the world into existence with the word, what can go up against that? As we close out here, one of the things that the Apostle Paul talks about in a couple passages and in 1 Corinthians 15, verses 50 through 53, and over in 1 Thessalonians 4, verses 13 through 18, talking about the last trumpet and the trumpet of God. And thus what you see is kind of the rounding out of this message is that it is a call to, it is, it is a call to the world saying, this is who is really going to be winning in this. And that is 
calling for those who can truly trust. Uh, Daniel was, was teaching a couple of uh, weeks ago talking about the spies, 10 spies and the other two spies. You have 10 messages that are saying, we can't do it. We can't go into the land. Two of them are saying, hey, haven't you noticed who's with us here? The creator of heaven and earth is with us. What, what is Canaan going to do against us? Nothing. They can't do anything. So if the one who brought us out of Mitzrayim brought us through the wilderness is saying, we can go in, we can go in. So in a sense, you also have this call out, as the Apostle Paul talks about that, saying to those who trust in the Lord in a similar situation, hey, keep trusting the one who brought you out. Things are going to go crazy with the day of the Lord. Things are going to go crazy. But trust in the one who brought you through. And it's important because, as you see the prophets talk about, those who do wake up to the situation will see the people of God have that peace, that shalom in the midst of the craziness and say, hey, we've heard that God's with you. Who is he? Who is he? I was having a conversation with my, one of my family members, and just in a small little situation, you know, you can see the things that our particular state here in California, they, they do things because they have an agenda. No matter how much you try to say, well, look, this is where this agenda will lead to. You're going from your best intentions. Think about what the worst intentions or the worst possibilities could come from this. Those are real. Don't just blow those aside. Those are real potential things that can happen. Don't just brush that off. And the thing is, is that when those things start to happen, we've had a couple of summers of this already, where the lights are flickering and this and that, and those that have warned, hey, this road you're going down can lead to problems. When the things start coming apart, people will then go say, who really had the, the true picture of what the situation was? And that's just a small, well, how much more than on the day of the Lord when those that are saying, hey, look, things look like they're coming apart. It looks like that the um, people of God are on the losing end of this. So it looks like you know, your, your trust in the career of heaven and earth is wrongly placed. But then when they see that that which seemed like it was the weakest became the strongest, and that the forces of the adversary that seek to destroy, that seek to confuse, that those are brought down, then where are they going to go for their hope and with their answers? They're going to go to the place where they heard the answers were coming from. Where the true assurance is coming from. The lies become exposed, become played out for what they truly are. And people go for where they see the true source of strength coming from. Uh, yes, Larry, have a comment or a question. I remember where are his heat seats? Yes. It's a very, very interesting aspect that they have in there with the, with the uh, prophets when they talk about that the um, yeah, people from the nations will grab on to the, to the tzitzitot and say, hey, we've heard that God's with you. And that harks right back to Numbers chapter 15 and the whole reason of what they are is that you would look at them and do what? Remember the instructions and be, be available. Be ready at all times to provide an answer, but also take to heart what the Apostle Paul talked about is that, you know, not all who are of Israel are of Israel. Or as the Apostle Yaakov says, 
hey, you know, you don't look at the law and then walk away and forget it. It's like a man who looks into a mirror and then walks away and forgets what he looks like. So we are to mirror, we are to mirror what the one who formed us looks like, presented to us in the Torah, presented to us and explained to us through the prophets, you know, lived out through the Mashiach, and explained even further through the apostles all on the same page as to what the mission of heaven and earth is all about. And that's one of the part of the good news and part of the sobering message of Yom Torah is that this is a picturing a time where heaven is going to bring this whole thing going on with Israel, with, Israel, with the earth, everything in for a landing. And then the commonwealth of Israel is going to be what the legacy of the planet is. It's not the legacy of this empire or that empire, because that's one of the, the great messages of the prophet Daniel, that there'll be a lot of empires that come along. And the king of heaven and earth sets him up. He takes him down. Some of them are tools. Some are even called a lowercase Mashiach a lowercase anointed one like Cyrus was, to, to serve a certain purpose. But then when those servants get a little bit too big for themselves, then they are whoop, moved out of the way. And another one comes in. But the true one behind them all is the, the king of heaven and earth. Amen. You've been listening to a discussion at Hallel Fellowship. If you would like to hear more discussions or if you have any questions, visit the website at Hallel.info. That's H-A-L-L-E-L dot I-N-F-O. Hallel.info. Hallel.info.